What a weird moment. The whole cosmos feels sort of half-vaxxed, held in the in-between. Lots of rushing to get back to normal, but an equal feeling that we should seize this time to innovate, to institute changes that are so clearly needed. And as we sit in anticipation of what walking around with our lower face parts out again will be like, just dangling there, touching the cool breezes once again, this is a time for all of us to be bold and to try something new. Now, personally, I love to be able to uh, not be tied to my screen all day, right? But that seems impossible. But what's not impossible is making it a little easier on the mind and body to be so engaged with our screen-based lives. They're not going anywhere. Uh, we can't live without it, so we have to figure out a way to live with it. Now, what's your daily screen routine? For me, I wake up, I grab the phone first thing, check for any new podcast reviews. I see if any guests have gotten back to me about scheduling. I look up the weather to see if sun salutations are going to be possible on the roof. I review my late night purchases that I might regret. Did I need a pigeon-shaped incense holder? Probably not. But then I get up, and it's zoom, 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 zoom with clients, potential guests. Then I'll watch uh, as I'm kind of winding down. I'll uh, put on Mayor of Easttown just to hear Kate Winslet say overdose as she attempts a Philadelphia accent. And then by that point, it's off to bed where I scroll through Instagram stories until 2 a.m. or I no longer have the arm strength to keep my phone aloft. On the next day, repeat. It's a lot of screen is my point. And as someone is into well-being and health as I am, I can tell that this is not good for me. And it turns out that's true. Our eyes should not be exposed to this much blue digital light. And now with Baxter Blue Glasses, you can mitigate the harmful effects while also doing good in the world. If you've been experiencing digital eye strain from too much blue light exposure, Baxter Blue Glasses are for you. Now, these are not your average frames. These blue light lenses filter 80% of the highest energy blue light, eliminating 99% of glare. Our exposure to digital light has soared during this pandemic, and our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. Uh, imagine the dreams you've been having are pretty wild if you can even get to sleep, right? If you can even get to the dream state. Well, wearing these things can help with all that. Baxter Blue also provides a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold. Imagine that. This is eyewear built for our digital age, and Baxter Blue is giving the Deep Night listener 10% off your next purchase of blue light sleep or kids' glasses. Click in the link that's right there in our show notes for this episode. You'll see it. We put the link. It says click here. Click there uh, on our on our website, uh, deepnightshow.com, and you'll get that exclusive discount. Uh, this is a sign that you have been waiting for, probably, to invest in blue light glasses. And I'm betting you're going to love your Baxters, and uh, we know that you're going to feel the difference. Like I said, time to try something new. <laughs> We're talking about making a leap, doing the work, and turning weaknesses into strength this week. When we close our eyes for a minute and imagine the possibilities that exist when we step through the portal in our mind that leads us to the deep night. Deep night with Oh, friends. Hello. <laughs> it's me, Dale Seaver, and I'm so glad to be your host, guide and uh, newly sponsored guru for this next hour of Regrets and Revelations. Uh, we're trying something new here ourselves. But rest assured, we come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. And the Gowani has a tinge of optimism about it. It smells just a little bit better. It's turned from pure oily black to an almost sickly green, which I think is a, a good signal of better days ahead. <laughs> I'm trying to take in lots of little details, you know, as we go through this moment, snapshots of this waning pandemic, trying to figure out what's going to last, what will become uh, just something in passing. For instance, Glenda and I went into a restaurant the other weekend to purchase a takeaway order, and I still have not sat in a restaurant all this last year, and I'm keeping to that. 
But as we were waiting in the half-empty lobby area by the door, there was one of these big uh, tubs of hand sanitizer, you know, on the bar, just dripping from that pump spout onto the floor. You know, a little bit had collected in there, kind of congealed around the nozzle. Now, I'm sure that this was eating through the finish of the brass railing and probably will leave a stain on that wooden floor beneath. How many of us will take note of those stains as the years go by and remember that's what it was from? Leaky sanitizer pumps, unattended, just present. The pandemic will leave its mark in all sorts of ways, I'm supposing. I bet there's things memories, sensations that are lodged in our bodies that we don't even realize and won't realize until years from now. Physical and mental markers of a time inside a part where we either collapsed or rose to meet the moment, or like most of us, uh, just struggled uh, through somewhere in the middle. Now, we had such a good and honest talk about some of these mixed emotions in this half-vaxxed moment with New York-based comedian Wendy Steiner. Wendy grew up in Los Angeles, moved to San Francisco, and now is here in New York making a go of it as a stand-up. She's uh, the host of Bitches Brew Comedy at Halyards in Brooklyn, quite near the Gowanus, I should note, and appears on lots of other terrific shows around town. Uh, a star on the rise. And I'm so pleased we got some time to talk about how one moves from kind of shy audience member, to in-command performer, and to hear that the work is still very much in process, as it is for so many of us. It was great to hear from someone whose inclination toward comedy seemed to have guided her all along, whether she was aware of it or not. So let's go now to my conversation with Wendy Steiner. Wendy Steiner. Welcome to the Deep Night. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. And how are you doing at this very moment in time, Wendy? I'm doing well, doing okay. Just ate some brownies. Brownies? Oh, normal brownies? Yeah, box brownies. Yeah, those are the best, aren't they? Solid. You get the fudge chips in them or you just classic cake? I went classic this time. I have indulged in some fudge chips, but I just buy whatever is on sale. Sure, sure. No, that's a good thing to do at this time. Uh, And uh, you got a whole pan to yourself? I'm sharing with my boyfriend, although I don't know if he's had any yet, so. Oh, something to look forward to for him, I guess. (laughs) That's nice. And does the whole house smell like brownies? Oh, yeah, it's great. I added a little uh, pumpkin pie spice just to feel like I'm... (laughs) Cooking with a capital C, you know. What are you doing? Some kind of fancy top chef activity there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's not even the season for that. You just put it in. That is so bold. I know. I had extra and I was like, you know, I'm going to reclaim some agency. I'm going to put my own spin on these brownies. Good for you. Thank you. (laughs) I can already tell you're fiercely independent and experimental. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) but also someone who enjoys comfort. Oh, yeah. Love to be comfy. (laughs) Yes. I'm so uh, pleased for you and these wonderful brownies of yours. See, I said, are they uh, normal or special brownies? They are special brownies. You've added your own touch to them. And my (laughs) goodness, I could talk to you a long time about it. Um, uh, But maybe we'll move on. You see, uh, uh, and and how are you feeling? Sort of, uh, I'm I'm glad you have something like uh, pumpkin spice uh, elevated brownies around because this moment. Uh, I don't know if it's the same for you, and so I will ask you. I'm kind of vacillating between just two poles of never wanting to leave, I'm fine with what's happened, to wanting to get back out into the world again and experience life now that we're kind of coming out of this pandemic moment. How are you feeling around that? Yeah, I'm of two minds as well. I'm noticing Brooklyn comedy coming back slowly but surely. I'm only half back, so I'm trying to be careful of which shows I accept and hopefully they fall after I'm fully vaccinated but there's just an emotional part of me that's like oh it's kind of nice having almost every weeknight free from <laughs> late night comedy sets and oh, subway I... rides and disappointment <laughs> yeah 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 no it's the subway that really gets to me that has kept me from wanting to get out there but uh, I also feel like it's maybe some kind of social anxiety that has uh, risen to the fore and uh maybe went unchecked (laughs) for a while. (laughs) It's easy to forget how uncomfortable things used to be, that we're in total control of our apartments. Well, in a New York apartment, maybe not. Well, yeah. Cranky radiators, et cetera. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. Um, well, I'm also half vaxxed. So uh, I'm in that moment, too, of being like, I kind of feel good. I feel like I'm not going to skip the second one. I'm going to do that. But um, I, I feel like I could be fine with this in a, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I did some last minute hangs recently that felt oh. exciting and new. I know day of a friend was like, the weather's nice. Do you want to get a drink outside? And that seemed like, wow, a new era. Spontaneity is almost back. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's uh, that's exciting. Um, uh, well, we had a kind of spontaneous moment here. Uh, but And I don't know, have you heard of this uh, meatball restaurant uh, called Ikea? Oh, I do. I you know do about know this Ikea. place. Uh, it's what a what a strange place that is. You you think that you you have some anxiety or whatever, but then you go to this place, and just a vortex. They sell other things other than they have furniture and stuff there too. Uh, they, they it's a, such a dark vortex of energy, such bad bad energy there. I had forgotten about. It. It's been some years since I've had to go over there and get something. And we had to go over there the other night because uh, we've relocated. And you think, okay, I'm going to get just a couple little things. Oh my gosh, what is it about that place, Wendy? I mean, granted, I went on a Scorpio moon, you know, big (laughs) giant super moon, so that's on me. But I think anytime, have you ever broken up in an Ikea? No, but it does test people. They make you go through that whole long maze. I don't think they want you to go right to checkout. I'm pretty sure it's a planned map. Yeah. Uh, they make you walk through so many colorful odds and ends. And right at the end, there's kind of like a grab bag area, which I do like. Yeah. But the more I think about it, I'm like, I didn't need those 10 packs of markers, colored pencils, <laughs> uh, straws. It's it's all kinds of like disposable stuff. Yeah. And you don't need it. No matter the price, you don't need it. You don't need right. it. Right. It is a good deal, but it's like a good deal on garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And as we're talking, it strikes me, it's not unlike this situation that we've been in this past year, where you're kind of like, I don't know, I'm contained. Everything is as it should be, kind of. We're in this orderly little apartment life, and we're walking through, and this is the only place you can go. You're guided. Your, your, your walls are contained. And then suddenly you start to get out a little bit, and oh my gosh, there's all this stuff out here. And then the end is just such a disappointment that I hope it, it differs. <laughs> You know, the end is not a jubilant vaccine at the end. The end, you uh, it takes uh, an ordinarily happy couple and, and rips them asunder. It only exists to sow discord and strife. My usual plan, and maybe I've talked about it on the show, I don't know, but I, I used to go there, and then when I get to that section you're talking about with the straws and everything, I put everything down and I walk out. I don't buy oh. a single thing. That is oh, the only kidding. way to get through that place. Wow. Good for you. That's a lot of self-control. I, I have bought the napkins with the beautiful Mari Mecco ripoff designs. I, yeah. I just love it. But yeah. I won't buy the straws. Don't come at me. <laughs> for environmental. Part. I'll tell you something about those napkins, though. Not as effective as you'd like them to be because the way they screen print that uh, image on the top. Yeah, they're kind of waxy. They're not very Too absorbent. Waxy. That's what yeah. it is. I like an absorbent napkin, Wendy. I've kind of been hooked on a paper towel. You know, oh, yes. we're not even buying napkins. We're just folding <laughs> paper towels, which I also heard that paper towels don't uh, break down the same way as you'd think. Like they mm. seem compostable, but maybe they're not. Yeah. I got to look into it. Everything feels like a lie, doesn't it? But <laughs> We've been betrayed. <laughs> I mean, did you think we'd spend this much time on napkins and brownies, Wendy? I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. But uh, the the thing is, normally, whether it's uh, sort of due to social anxiety, uh, not having that, or whether it's, uh, you know, being free of an Ikea-induced rage, what I like to do is go out and see people perform. And I love to go see uh, comedians such as yourself, uh, talented uh, people doing their thing uh, around uh, the city, around the country. And I haven't had the chance to do that, obviously. And so I've let social media be my guide. So... uh, I want to talk to you, set the stage for me with you and your work, because I haven't had that experience of being able to see you there, you know, cheering you on from the, from the, some basement somewhere. Uh, How long have you been in New York and, and why comedy? Yeah, I've been in New York about six years. I'm coming up on my anniversary and I have also been doing comedy about that same amount of time. I moved from San Francisco and had dabbled in comedy in San Francisco, but I was really shy there. So I think 
you can talk to San Francisco comedians that I watched quietly from behind pillars, but they don't know me at all. <laughs> uh, I would say uh, comedy for me is a, just a a little bit of a need to exist and like be seen and have my views of the world acknowledged in some way, not even always agreed with, but I was here. I said it. Um, (laughs) and yeah, I like performing a lot in Brooklyn. I host a show, uh, with a couple other awesome hosts out of Gowanus actually called bitches brew at Halyards bar. Yes. I tried to get folks to pronounce it as open. Yeah, not yet. We're doing it virtually for now, and okay. I have to talk to the owners, but I hope we'll be back because that bar is still alive and doing well. You can go sit inside or outside right now, so check it yes. out. Yes. Yeah. What were you saying? You tr- People try to pronounce what? Oh, there was a day where I tried to uh, get a rumor going that Goanis was actually pronounced Go Anus, and um, I still sure. have friends who won't speak to me, but it was fun for me. <laughs> we have to find those little things, a little bit of pumpkin spice in the brownies, isn't it? <laughs> to have some fun. Exactly. Now, as I understand, if we can back up even further, you grew up in Los Angeles in Torrance. Is that right? I did, yeah. Okay. Do you know it? Well, you know, I lived in Los Angeles for a time, and uh, Torrance, to me, I, I don't feel like I have a sense of it, except that I feel like I conjure an image of what it's going to <laughs> It's really like, small. Or yeah. It's not really small, actually. I should think about like American small towns, and it's not that. But it is on film sometimes. Um, yeah. It's the high school in American Beauty. Okay. Uh, a couple of, not my high school, which was South High, a.k.a. Mouth High. Uh, they, Shout out to the mouthers out there. <laughs> yeah. They used <laughs> our competing high school, Torrance High, in like She's All That and a couple other famous teen movies. So yeah. it's a very like quintessential suburb experience, and there there is a beach, too. Oh, you see there? That's kind of nice. Yeah, it was a really nice place to grow up. Yeah, anytime you get a little bit of water, even if it's the Gowanus, it's nice. I'll take it, yeah. <laughs> and I use the term water generously whenever I'm talking about the Gowanus. Um, so uh, you grew up there, uh, and then how? And you said you got to San Francisco. What was the San Francisco track? That was for school. That was for what? Yeah, I originally moved up to the Bay to go to school at Berkeley. I yeah. was a transfer student, so I ended up living in Berkeley for maybe two years, and then the San Francisco for like four total or so. Pretty good, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, what was the comedy scene that you were watching there behind the pillars and things? Uh, it was like the Brainwash Cafe, a little bit of cops comedy for like big headliners sometimes. Sure. Um, there was a Hayes Valley Cafe uh, open mic that I, I remember Natasha Muse, who yeah. I consider to be so awesome and like a legend. Um she would host it, but then I'd also see that she had like these amazing credits um, and people, it was a small scene. So I think people would be like, how are you? And do you want to go up? When I moved to New York, there'd be times where I was trying to go up actively and people would pretend you weren't in the room. Like no one was looking out for you, complete opposite. But there is freedom in that. But it was much less gentle. Uh, yes, I think that's true of San Francisco overall, isn't it? Uh, it's a place where they reward pauses. They, you can be a little bit uh, odd. Uh, you yeah. can you can do your thing, and they're going to they're going to accept it. Uh, no surprise to you that I really got started out there. In, yeah, in San that feels Francisco. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I just I miss it so so much during this time. If there was one place I could go to, gosh, the fog. Uh, the walking everywhere, the the food, um, I just miss it terribly. It's such a it's such a nurturing place, though. Too. That said, I am deeply embarrassed by the person that I was then. <laughs> and I think feels, that means you were living right. You're really in the moment. I, I was definitely in a few moments <laughs> out there. Good for you. Oh my goodness, some some rough nights out there trying to get across the bridge back to Oakland and that kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Not a twenty four hour train. No, no, and you really gotta <laughs> pace yourself when faced with a scorpion bowl. Uh, but it's. Um, yeah, I had some rough nights, but I had some wonderful nights there, too. And uh, I think you described it in one uh, interview I read as a kind of a, a magical uh, mother force, whereas New York is more of a dad 
energy who's uh, constantly, you're worried about disappointing. Oh yeah, a lot to live up to. <laughs> I feel like in New York, I'm always aware that wonderful things are happening, but I feel like I'm standing just outside the party. It's very motivating, <laughs> but I don't always feel folded in. Um, yeah. So, But it does make you want to start your own things in a way in New York. And I, I think that I've heard other people talk about this, but the anonymity of New York, like because it doesn't care about you, I feel like I can do whatever I want without the pressure of anyone's gaze. That's so true. While also just fighting for anyone's gaze. Right. <laughs> if I earn any attention in New York, I really deserve it because it was so hard won. Yeah. Right. Well, you seem to me uh, as someone, and again, just from social media and things, that you're uh, one of the comedians over the past year who has not let up and who has really been uh, out there doing shows. Does that line up with your experience? Um. I'm flattered and I want to say yes, but I feel like I've really pulled back from my perspective. I'm yeah. like a perfectionist and have high standards for myself. And my, but I think that the pandemic was really a time to slow down, to work smarter, not harder, to reflect on what's worth doing. Maybe I don't have to do shows that cause me to travel an hour and a half each way. Um, I, I always think I don't have to say they're unpaid, but maybe people don't know they're like almost exclusively unpaid at the beginning. So you're losing money to do these shows, which money's not everything, especially with creative work. But I, I was like, oh, I can say no for safety reasons. Maybe I should use this as practice for saying no for like integrity reasons. Yes, I think that's a good point. That that is something that not enough people feel emboldened to do. Yeah, myself included. But I mean, I've done a lot of. I still don't make any money. Right. I just I want to pay my dues so badly, but I also I think I'm at a small turning point. A lot of people say that comedians really find their voice in the seven to 10 years of mm -hmm. comedy range, which yeah. is funny because I've also heard that you can't claim you have your New Yorker card until about seven or 10, depending on who you talk to. Right. I think it also depends on if you're um, like a desirable recruit. <laughs> like if you're someone cool, like if you're Chrissy Teigen or something, maybe you can get in a little earlier. But I have this feeling that my square ass is going to have to do all 10. But <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, you mean, it's, it's just it's in New York, think, you mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I haven't seen Chrissy around the open mics. I'm sure she'd do well. But Unfor uh, I mean, not unfortunately, but I'm sure she would kill because I think there's a uh, little alchemy to laughs and influence goes a long way. Hotness, I think, goes a long way. Like charm is like ambiguous. Yeah. But... Yeah, yeah, I feel like the audience needs to trust you, and it'll mm -hmm. either uh, trust you and probably in some cases lust you. Like the <laughs> people, I agree. Uh, you know, they they want to have some kind of feeling about you one way or the other, or they want to feel taken care of. And maybe right. for some, that's all locked into <laughs> in right. one one because um, we all bring ourselves into each of those situations. Um, but that's very true, and it's not something that I think enough people talk about. Uh, you know, I, mean, I, think I think comedians are obsessed with it and they'll yeah. will have a tendency to oversimplify that it's looks period you know because i think it's not uh, is it? i don't think it's just looks right yeah i think it's presence and sometimes it's style like fashion yeah yeah, yeah. a lot and, of perception and once you got them though oh that's a good feeling <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah 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 but, but it's sometimes a little, as you said, it's alchemy in terms of what works. And sometimes when it's a big name or something like that, of course, you get a, a little bit of bounce because uh, they're just up there. And so there's the charge in the room and, oh, right. what's going to happen? Oh, they said something. And You already the, like them. Yeah. Yeah. You like them. You like them and you trust them and they're a known quantity. And right. so People, it's helpful. They get so angry at musicians because uh, they kill when they're like, oh, I stepped on the amp, you know, like little things. And then the crowd goes wild because they're in love with them. It's the same with flirting. You'll see yeah. people laugh at someone they like all the time. Yes, yes. It's part of it. It's part of the human exchange, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm an easy laugh too, I think. I think. <laughs> yeah, I know that helps. And uh, uh, have you been able to, uh, even though maybe you've scaled back, uh, which to me is doing a lot, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's because after the last six months, I kind of crawled into a hole a little bit. But um, 
it's also because I don't uh, like the Instagram live format so much. It's not yeah. something that I feel particularly happy about. It's not a space I want to spend time in. I'm always scared when I go into somebody else's, like I've <laughs> somehow wandered into the dressing room at a, you know, Ross dress for less. Uh, oh my gosh. Um, sometimes <laughs> those locks are a little janky, but uh, you know, it's, um, I feel uncomfortable as an audience member. Uh, so totally. I don't go to see a lot of the things and I, I don't know, maybe I would feel good performing in them, but, uh, It definitely took me some getting used to, and I prefer live shows so much. Um, You just get so much more of a dynamic sense of people and how things are going. I actually ended a Zoom show recently, or like that particular performance was over, and I talked to someone else on the show. I thought it had gone great, (laughs) and they were like, wow, weird energy from that crowd, so unfortunate tonight, and I was like, oh! I see that we processed our flat screens differently than each other. And not to say that that doesn't happen all the time with in-person comedy, but I was surprised how differently we thought it went. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens for me. Uh, We did some interview shows and things, not unlike what we're doing right now, but uh, via Zoom and and live. And I thought they were wonderful and warm and I I like doing them, but you think you're going to get something from a guest. And if you don't click, well, then you have, it happens in live shows too, but just you have five minutes there where you're kind of just staring at each other and it can impact how you, how the performer, feels about how things went, even though to the audience member it could be perfectly delightful. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and I've heard a lot of people um, notice the experience of seeing yourself perform as you're performing, like the instant playback, it does add a level of self-consciousness for a lot of people yeah. that I think is something you have to overcome. Yeah. I don't like to think about how it looks when I'm saying something funny because I don't think obviously my physical presence is my instrument a little pretentious sounding but it's just the truth of it it's like well you're not up there as a floating void you are a person Uh, but if I think about it too much I think it makes my like delivery a little unnatural a little overselling jokes. And so I actually think there'll be some bad habits about virtual shows that we need to kind of unlearn when we go back onto live stages. I bet that's true because you spend so much time developing the response time. And it's it's almost on a chemical level, really, uh, how to respond to what the audience is doing. And, and I always try to pride myself on being able to read a room very well. And mm-hmm. once you adjust to whatever this is, where there is no room... <laughs> Except I try to. It's difficult. I try to look at the gallery view to read the room, but I notice that if I put too much energy into looking at the gallery view of everybody's, where are they sitting? Like, what do I think their income level is? Like little things. Um, I think they can tell I'm doing it because I have this bad habit of literally getting closer to the screen. And I I think they see (laughs) me clicking things. Like they know they're being evaluated uh so it makes it very uh self-conscious for the audience i think which is not the space you want them to be in they want you want their guard down right right although we will probably be sitting with some of this i mean we're talking about it's kind of specific to this moment but i do think a lot of this stuff is going to carry on i mean yeah. you'll, because you have access to people you know we don't have to go meet in the studio so we can do this um as imperfect as it is but still it's convenient and so we're going to have some of this stuff still going and Maybe we can learn both. We can train both muscles <laughs> yeah. to, to respond in appropriate ways per the conditions that we're in, which also reminds me to ask you this. What was the transition like or what was the click moment for you to transition from shy person behind the column to I want to go up there and do this and I have confidence doing it because certainly by all accounts now, you do have a great deal of confidence while on stage. I think... A funny sideway in for me was uh, doing college speech and debate. It was uh, a way to kind of be doing stand-up, but you never use the vocabulary that makes it real in your own mind that it is stand-up because it's independent performance that's like entirely oral. (laughs) Uh, And I even competed in a competition called After Dinner Speaking, which is 
judged based on humor. It's judged on laughs. It's absolutely stand-up comedy, but I was uncomfortable <laughs> thinking about it in that framework. And can, I think... Um, can you... Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, oh, yeah. but can you set the stage for me of what a typical after-dinner uh, talk would, would look like? It's a great name, right? It like harkens yeah. back to a marvelous Miss Maisel kind of vibe. Yeah. I feel like I got uh, a brandy. Uh, it's a warm room. The fire's going. Uh, yes. what, what was it like? Well, I'm standing on a skinned bear rug. No, um, I think that... <laughs> yep, that matches. A fun thing about when I did it is I was at the very like innocent and impressionable age of 18 as a community college kid. And you go to these competitions where all of the students are dressed in business formal. Oh. And so there's a lot of uh, theatrical <laughs> elements to it, but uh, it's all usually taking place at these competitions that are held at large college campuses or even in hotels. So they're these like very weird contained performances where you, a judge, and maybe five other like community college students who aren't always young people, right? It's a very diverse uh, group of people that go to community college. Yes. Some people have second careers, et cetera. Um, and you're just trying to kill for five people. So I'm never that turned off by shows with four, six, eight people yep. in the audience because I like that, the strength of the writing anyway. That's my typical crowd. Right. Yeah, that's a hot show. <laughs> yeah, you get 10 people and you know eight of them are ones you don't know. Gosh, I'm on fire. <laughs> yeah, a stranger counts for like 100 friends. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that sounds horrible. So it would be mostly the, the community college uh, crowd the other students, as diverse as they may be, gathered in a hotel conference room, bar, lounge, whatever the setup was, and one person at a time would go up and deliver a how like a five minute set. Uh, yeah, I think that the most common speech was ten minutes, okay. which is so similar to stand up. I should say there were no microphones, uh -huh. uh, well. but it's good practice to know what to do with your hands or yeah. kind of not. Uh, <laughs> And I forgot to say, there were other schools that weren't community college. To me, that just was this chip on my shoulder kind of feeling about us is that we were this scrappy group of like low budget in our program, <laughs> all sharing a car. And, and do you think it's a California thing? I've never heard of this before as a competition. Uh, and so I'm curious about it. And because, quite frankly, I would have thrived in that environment. I know. I, I don't, they should have better marketing. I had never heard of it. I was very lucky that my older sister, she competed in speech and debate. And it's actually something that she credits um, like helping her resume so that she could transfer to a UC school. Yeah. So I pretty much just copied her life blueprint. <laughs> yeah, still? Yeah. Does she yeah. do comedy? Oh, she doesn't. No, <laughs> she works in government, but she's so funny. So sort of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she has a good sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, one would need to. Um, that is so fat. I, I love that whole idea. And uh, gosh, um, it makes me want to sign up for a community college. Uh, maybe get I'll in go there. To Skyline yeah. or whatever, one of those places out there in uh, the Bay Area <laughs> and get going on my uh, continuing education career in after dinner talks. Did you, were you successful? Then. I imagine. Did you win? Yeah. Um, I didn't place in after dinner speaking, but for persuasive speeches and I think informational speech and then just regular old debate, I am a national champion. <laughs> Thank you. That's Thank you. terrific. <laughs> of course you are. Uh, I have a you, plaque somewhere. Yeah. Do you remember the speech that you gave that was the winning one? Actually, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Oh, mm, I don't know if it was my winning one, but a, a one that got me pretty far was a speech about whether or not uh, racial preferences in online dating are inherently racist oh. or if they're justified, uh -huh. which I know has been talked about a lot now, but this was like 2009 so I, it was it was more novel at the time yeah at the forefront of that kind of uh, exploration yeah <laughs> which is de definitely a topic in my current stand-up so I think it's interesting like the stuff that gets you going is kind of always there right right well uh, you do talk about uh, being uh, Jewish and Japanese Mm -hmm. uh, in your in your stand-up. Uh, I assume that's what you're referring to right yes, now when yeah. you talk about uh, maybe identity. Um, how do you think that has or has it uh, sort of manifest uh, in your comedy? Obviously, you talk about it, um, but is there some other way that's, that it comes out? 
Yeah, I think it does. It, I get a little more like, ooh, the cynic in me was going to say self-important, but I, I do think it matters. I, I'm a little more empowered to take up space to just keep doing my comedy because yeah. I want to be like an Asian American who's out here doing it and yeah. just a lady, <laughs> you know? Sure. Um, and I don't, I don't know that I felt that or uh, in the front of my mind at the beginning, but it's something that at least a year in, I, I really felt just because I would watch uh, so many dudes on lineups and I felt like I was better than them creatively. And it's that's very unbecoming and traditionally that's not a likable thing to say, but I think it's how I felt. I'd watch and go, oh, great. One more joke about dating as a white guy. And some of those are funny. You know, I'm not right. saying you can't tell those jokes, but I, I think the most exciting shows are when a mom of three kids gets up and then an army veteran gets up and then a divorce guy gets up. Like different life experiences just make for better content to me. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's a kind of positioning and recognition of uh, not being the sort of dominant voice. Yeah, I think I, I was somewhat a little uncomfortable with whether or not it's okay to want to be a public person or to want to be any kind of artist because to me it takes so much narcissism <laughs> and my parents are very encouraging but I find that a lot of negative attributes are associated with um, something that's so about yourself um, so sometimes I bolster like my confidence by being like no 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 this is also aligned with what changes I want to see to, in comedy Right. So uh, you're able to kind of also uh, take from uh, your parents <laughs> and not just uh, sort of maybe culturally specific, but they're right. uh, maybe uh, while being encouraging, also having a kind of inclination to not be uh, public, to not talk about things that may have to do with your identity or may maybe air things out, other issues that come up that are unrelated to that. Um, you're kind of rebelling a little bit against that as well yeah. as, as manifesting it, you're also kind of saying, okay, well, I define myself. There's a, there's a little bit, a streak here of defining yourself in opposition to what's there. Right. And I think a lot of times I'm even at a big show that matters a lot because it's some showcase, like it's all very much an experiment in my head of like, am I this kind of comic? Am I this kind of person? Am I like happy with how I came off in that performance? Um, because I tend, even if a joke is a complete fabrication, I, I like the essence of what I'm saying to be true. Yes. And I, I, I think that makes sense. <laughs> uh, makes total well, sense to me. I, I mean, yeah. I don't it can goof be around a lot with, with things that aren't real or yeah. with, you know, character stuff. But it, it really has to be uh, true no matter what you're saying. There's got to be some little kernel, some impulse of truth. Right, right, leave. right. Yeah. You're like... The joke was just that I have rage. Like that, the truth is just that. Like sometimes I'm angry, but obviously I didn't hit someone in a Range Rover. Like you can tell the joke's not true. Yeah, right. right. Although some people, some comedians, you're not sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that true. rage is so real <laughs> that you right. just are not sure what's going on with that. Um, well, Absolutely. I think that that's it. Do you, uh, one, do you feel like you've achieved a voice for yourself and you're, and you're comfortable in it because you said you're a little waffling around that maybe a little bit. And then uh, two, do you find yourself in other ways being a little bit um, uh, provocative or uh, antagonistic? I think I have achieved a voice, but I don't want to stay in it I it's funny I think you're always growing out of your material you you have these jokes that you know work and if you're we're doing an important 30 minutes to fill the time with something that's a sure thing I'm gonna do them I, I have actually taken a lot of time during pandemic to read more Asian American literature and talk to my mom and obviously the Asian American hate crimes are very top of mind and I, I would never want to like overly um, speak from like a place that I don't really have access to. I don't want to talk for other people that I'm not. Um, but I don't think people think Asian Americans are a monolith, almost especially because it's so many disparate cultures under one title and right. not that everyone even uses that title. 
But all that is to say, I do think I have a voice. I think my favorite part of comedy is how surprising it is. I do a lot of misdirection. I love when you're like, oh, I thought I knew what the joke was and I don't. Yeah. So I think my voice will have to change in order to not, um, or in order to be able to still surprise myself in the audience. Right. Well, I think I used the word antagonistic before, but I meant contrarian as just a oh, means yeah. of like setting yourself apart from what's going on or seeing that you are you're already a part and then using yeah. that to magnify whatever's happening. And that sounds like what you just said, where you also like to uh, surprise them or give you a little bit of a, a whiplash from the direction that you went in that maybe totally. was unexpected. It's interesting. I think you can even bore an audience in a five minute set if every joke kind of feels like you're hitting the same note. Um, and I don't even mind that you said antagonistic because I think um, to antagonize conversationally can actually be kind of like spicy and interesting um, if done respectfully <laughs> right. or even frankly, I think a comedian's job is to be disrespectful at times, to be ungrateful. You know, it's okay with me if it's a little more like, Hey, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. There's levels of privilege that you can either uh, interact with or check or flex or uh, deflect. Uh, Definitely. Certainly. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Um, and there is a lot of privilege that comes with just being on stage and having the mic and that right. sets a whole uh, power dynamic up. Um, and I wonder on this uh, journey uh, <laughs> that you've been on over the little bit of, of time here, um, uh, reading and uh, thinking about yourself and your voice and where you sit in the world. Have you also, you know, we talk a lot about uh, crystals and self-care on this program. Do you have any kind of, other than the brownies, uh, some kind of uh, routine that you engage with or have found particularly comforting over this last year? I think one of the biggest things is that I am just doing less and I'm someone who I can go on a cross-country uh, plane ride and just sit there and do nothing, which I think creeps people on the plane out. But I like to be alone with my own thoughts yeah. and sort of it feels like I'm in a gestation period. I, I, I'm uh, what's a more positive version of ruminating on some things, yeah. Yeah. Um, getting right with myself. I also I do just like reading because um, an author I really look up to, Min Jin Lee, she said, reading is one of the only ways to um, improve the way your mind is organized. I find that uh, I work in copywriting a lot of the time during the day. And the way we write on computers, where we delete the middle of a sentence and swap out just one word at a time, yeah. it's very discombobulating. And I, I used to think in an ageist way that that was like an old person thing to say. And I, but I think it's fundamentally true that to sit at a typewriter and write out a paragraph that doesn't have typos and doesn't uh, wander yeah. was a completely different skill that I think uh, I'm missing because I've always been able to highlight a couple chunks, copy and paste a couple chunks. It's just a totally different way of thinking about writing. Yeah. So I find that when I sit and read, especially a novel, it's so nice to just be focusing on one thing. I put my phone in a drawer. I'm just in one single thought. There's so much less coming at you. So it's weird because I think people don't think of reading as passive, but for me, it's one of the only things that feels relaxing. It's very intellectually engaging, but it's um, singular. And I like that a lot. Yeah. Yep. Like running or something. You're able right. to just focus in on the one task that is being required of your body to do. <laughs> Right. There was such a push to do <laughs> multiple things at once. And now I think the pendulum swinging where we need to push ourselves to do one thing well at a time. Yeah, I like that very much. Uh, and, and as you were talking, I was also thinking I have definitely been the person on the plane that I'll admit it's kind of because of spite. I have sat there perfectly still and stared straight into the distance for the entirety of the flight as if to challenge everyone around me who was on all kinds of media and uh, ordering things. I won't order anything. I'll just sit like a monk and just stare. <laughs> and I bet it's unnerving to other people, as you say. Right. Um, and then uh, with writing, I, I, I prefer what you're talking about. And I can recognize it in my own work that even if writing jokes or a uh, kind of an interview idea, sketching things out. I, if I have to do a second draft, I won't go back in and move stuff around. I'll oh, start just... fresh. Oh, and, wow. and, I'll, and then whatever was strong about that other thing that was a good impulse will make it in. You know, if there was a particularly great line, 
maybe I'll put it back in there. But otherwise, it's too hard to rifle through there and mm. find the the darlings to kill. Uh, I'd rather just, okay, what's my second take on this same thing and, and get all the way through it? And of course, That's you can smart. massage it, but it, it, it alleviates some of that problems of moving a paragraph up here. And that, that's not, I have to, it has to be linear in my mind. I think the end result of the moving stuff is uncanny. I think it's a little bit like a robot wrote it. I, I, I think there, we don't have a good vocabulary for it, but when you read something like that, I think you can sense, oh, this was written by committee, but it's actually only one person, but a bunch <laughs> of different, at a bunch of different times in their life. Right, right. Yes, the flow is not there. I right. think we yes. I think we read and flow and maybe we we write and flow and we have to, that has to be there and that gets at the essential truth of the thing, which is of course what we've been talking about and how to communicate that effectively. Totally. Oh, we brought it all back around, Wendy. <laughs> You're an artist. You got this. So good. I'm so, so glad we did it. Um, uh, well, I wanted to ask you uh, about a silly thing, if I may, if, you, if you have a moment, because you brought up something on, a, on an old tweet uh, about, <laughs> and it was about flow. It was about the progressive universe of ads, right? The shared universe of the, of the progressive insurance company and uh, oh, yeah. the, the flowverse, if you will. And you had suggested that you wonder with the introduction of all these secondary characters, if she's worried for her job, because they're kind of <laughs> introducing maybe people to step up and, and take a, and that, that idea was so appealing to me and, <laughs> and brought, brought me such joy. Um, I, I just, because they, of course they had flow dressed up as different characters like Eddie Murphy and the clumps for a little bit, you know, she oh, was right. playing her whole family, but then they really introduced all these other people and it did make you think, Oh, Oh, what's going to happen. And now right, sometimes she's like, not even in it. Right. Those are really and weird. And maybe she was requesting time off. Like I'm not yeah. sure it's a Coliseum death match, but I, I tend to think with Hollywood and I, there's this uh, sense that the longer people are in jobs, under like late capitalism that their pay should just go up and up and up and up even though they're doing like very similar work sorry Flo but <laughs> yeah. yep yeah. I was once in an elevator with her in San Francisco and uh, uh I was too intimidated to ask anything was cause... she styled like that or did she look different <laughs> no, no no she looked nor normal oh. <laughs> she was dressed as a person would be appropriate uh and just <laughs> jeans or whatever um but yeah but but, but you know, we don't have very many spokespeople like that anymore. So to encounter right. someone like that, it was like seeing, a you know, a, an icon uh, come to life. Very unnerving. Um, right. I met Mr. Peanut once. <laughs> oh, the original one or this new one that they aged from Original, baby? not the okay. baby, although that baby's cute. It's cute. That's a cute why? peanut baby. We keep it the baby then. Well, why do we have to have teen nut? And then you have the other nut. You know, they aged it. Oh, yeah. Then all no, of a sudden a it can point. drink. I'm uh, like, if you're going to make me get a comfortable with a baby nut, anyway, you were saying, you, how did you meet Mr. Peanut? Uh, he came into Refinery29's offices while I was working there. Unannounced? I, I want to say it felt unannounced to me, but he has great legs. He was fun. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, does he have a voice? Did he talk to you? I didn't listen a, if he did. A wave. It kind of felt like he was in one of those Chuck E. Cheese big suits. Yeah. So he might have been like, help, I can't breathe. And we were like taking selfies. You know what? I like to, and I've been in a number of those suits, but I like when you have to, when you see him hold their nose to look through the mesh, you know, because oh, the yeah. thing doesn't fit right. So they have to do a real awkward down down look. I like I've that I've only move. worn the head of it. I, I used to work at a Bob's Big Boy and... The big boy costume was actually pretty petite, so I used to have to walk around giving out balloons as Bob's big boy. Oh, hold on. So that's a big, uh, that's a, the head with the swish. You were the, right. the, the boy. with the great uh, hair, yeah. black hair, yeah. Uh, and the rest of it and was just overalls. your normal body in the red checkered overalls. Or... Yeah, I, I think at the end there were big shoes to kind of bring it all together. Yeah, <laughs> you'd need something because the scale would be very awkward. Did mm -hmm. your arm get tired from holding it up with the burger or were you allowed free motion? I was allowed free motion because I had to give out kids balloons with my <laughs> face on them. <laughs> I just remember that one older woman came up to me and she said, hey there, big boy. And I was like, I am a 15 year old girl. <laughs> 
That's so strange, isn't it? It was weird. Impulse? It was a weird time. Yes. I was a Christmas bear for a number of years, and I often oh. had some women flirting uh, with uh, yeah. me, and I was about that same age, around 7 I didn't 50. expect it. No. I, it was unexpected, as you said. It very uh, <laughs> it shocks you a little bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> to <right>. this day. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> well, uh, were you going to be performing anywhere soon that people can find out about? Uh, yes. Bitches Brew has a couple of Friday shows that are hosted virtually. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or search Eventbrite for Bitches Brew. Yes. Okay. Uh, we'll do that. And uh, and that is not – you don't have a head or anything that you wear uh, for that. There's no costume. No, it's my own – Skull. Yeah. Yeah. That thing smell okay? That head? You know, they febrezed okay. it. It wasn't so okay. bad. It wasn't so bad. You always wonder about those now. Uh, well, uh, Great question. <laughs> I had to get it in there before the end. Wendy, uh, this has been so lovely. I'm so glad you were able to join me uh, here in the deep night. And I wish you continued success uh, with everything that's going on as you continue to refine a, a great strong voice and comedy out there. Thanks so much. It was an absolute pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Oh, such fun. I was not expecting the Bob's Big Boy reveal at the end. <laughs> oh, what a treat. My thanks to Wendy for her openness and honesty. Even as I sometimes ramble around my points to get to something resembling a question, I will get there eventually. You'll give me another 12 years and I'm going to nail this thing. Now, if you're enjoying the show, a reminder that we're big fans of Squadcast. And there's a link on our site, deepnightshow.com, where you can get a free trial from them. It's great for remote podcasts, super simple and reliable. Uh, otherwise, we're still getting the home studio set up here, but I've uh, ordered some tall plants and a wall of mushroom moss to help absorb some of the, the bounce that you're here. <laughs> Recording the natural way. Now, next week, we'll be back. And I know we've had a little staggered release schedule this spring, but... I trust that that's okay with you. Like I said, transitions are happening, and transitions sometimes require a little extra week <laughs> or so. Go see Wendy. Uh, go to her shows. See her See her in action. Uh, go uh, leave us a review or a rating. And thank you for those who have done so recently. It always warms my heart, which is usually already warm beneath a turtleneck, but I love it when it shoots up another degree. Okay, so that will do it for us this week. Remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is produced and performed by James Bewley. Season theme song by Mariam Cadus of Space Moth. Season podcast icon by Philippa Beleza. Incidental music heard throughout the program by the talented roster at Howler Hills Farm in Ohio. Remember to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts or tune in and stream the show on Spotify, SoundCloud, Pandora, or Stitcher, wherever you find fine audio content. To see any of our live shows or other short videos, visit our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Radio, and follow us on Instagram at Seaver is the handle. Thanks again for listening, and remember this season to keep your portals open and at a safe distance.